0: Hey, and welcome to Based Based on a a True Crime Story, a podcast where we will go into the details of a true crime, and then the movie that it inspired. Yes, and I'm one of your hosts, Andrea. And I'm your other host, Kelly.
1: And this week, we have the story of Jeff and Jill Erickson, and the movie it inspired called A Normal Life. Yes.
0: Starring Luke Perry. And Ashley Judd, or as the advertisement said, Winona Judd's daughter. <laughs> Winona Judd's daughter? No, that's not right. Sister. Yeah. And who's her mom? Naomi, Naomi Judd. Judd. That's what I meant. Yes. So sorry. That's okay. That's funny that they and said that. Perry from Beverly Hills 90210. And Ashley Judd, daughter of ah. Naomi Judd. Okay. That's interesting. Now she's her own person. Right. So
1: I'm going to go over the crime. And Kelly's doing the movie. Uh, So my references for this is an article from People magazine called Bloody Ending to a Double Life, story by Michelle Green, featured in the March 2nd, 1992 issue, as well as the Chicago Tribune from July 21st, 1992. To their neighbors in the Chicago suburb of Hanover Park, Jeff and Jill Erickson seemed slightly peculiar sorts, preferred their motorcycles and their golden retriever named Chaos to the company of others. The hardworking owner of a used bookstore, Jeff, who was 33, would only speak when spoken to, but his wife, Jill, who was a 27-year-old lab technician finishing a degree in chemistry at Loyola University in Chicago, seldom looked anyone in the eye. They had few visitors to their townhouse on Waterford Drive. They were both nocturnal, they would roar off their powerful Honda bikes at 3 a.m. to ride the streets for hours. I would hate to be their neighbor. But even in a city rich with gangland history, the Ericssons were adding an extraordinary new chapter to the criminal saga. Last December 16, that I remember this was in the 90s, uh, Jeff was arrested in connection with at least eight bank robberies. Cornered uh, after a frantic 110 mile an hour effort to escape. Bill died in a shootout with police. At their townhouse, police found 38 guns, rifles, shotguns, pistols, and revolvers, 25 boxes of ammunition, smoke grenades, gas masks, burglar tools, police scanner, and $1,742 in cash. The garage had been fitted with a massive safe, and a bulletproof vest was waiting in in their mailbox. Instead of the mildly eccentric Couple couple next door, it seems, the bookseller and his wife were the suburban version of Bonnie and Clyde. The M.O. of the man the police called the bearded robber, he wore a false, dark beard, never buried. He would burst into Chicago-area banks, wearing nondescript clothing and carrying a handgun and a police scanner. No gentleman bandit, he'd threaten to blow Teller's brains out if they failed to cooperate. Outside the bank would be a stolen, Japanese-made car with the ignition pulled out a getaway vehicle that he would abandon a few blocks from the bank. Police say that uh, his forays netted him close to $200,000 in 22 months.
0: So what would that be in 2019 money? I don't know.
1: I didn't look. Uh, December 10th, an FBI task force found a stolen Mazda with its ignition ripped out at a mall in Schaumburg, Illinois. I've been there. I have too. It's about 30 miles northwest of Chicago. Since there had been no robbery nearby, police were betting the car would be used in the next heist and promptly staked it out. The watch ended just before noon, six days later, when Jill and Jeff Erickson drove into the lot in a silver van. Jeff jumped out and slipped behind the wheel of the stolen car while his wife parked at the far side of the lot. In an instant, the agents surrounded the Mazda and ordered Jeff to raise his hands. Startled, he twice made a move for the gun that was on the seat next to him and he finally surrendered. Jill, however, did not go easily. When agents approached the van, she tore out of the parking lot, speeding through Schomburg. She led the feds on an 11-mile chase. Around 12.15 p.m., she ducked into the Bear Flag Drive, the only route into a small subdivision. Once she was cornered, she filed off a fusillade. Uh, she fired off a facade. I don't know what that word is. Help, help me. What word is that? I don't know. Okay. It's fine. A fuselage. (laughs) She fired off a fuselage. At the police cars surrounding the van, officers returned fire and then there was an eerie silence. Jill was then found slumped in her seat, blood streaming from her head. Around 6 p.m., she was pronounced dead at Humana Hospital in Hoffman Estate. As family members tell it, Erickson was an unlikely candidate for the role of bank robber. A sociable child, he was raised in the Chicago suburb of Morton Grove. His father, Jack, was in middle management at the phone company. His mother, June, raised two boys in a home filled with pets. Our childhood was better than most, said Jeff's brother, Jim, who owns a small gun shop nearby in Addison. A member of the swim team at the Niles West High School, Jeff joined the Marines when he graduated in 1977. Jill was the youngest of two girls who were adopted by Fran and Carl Cohen, a child education specialist and a pharmacist in Niles. She met Jeff at a bar near her home on her 17th birthday. He was taken with her long blonde hair. He nicknamed the 511 Senior Gorgeous. Jill and I were crazy about each other, he said from his jail cell in Chicago. They dated about six months. She dropped out of school to move in with him, partly, he said, to escape the pain of her parents' impending divorce. They married in a bare-bones civil ceremony on July 29, 1983, but the two never really settled down. They moved nearly once a year. Lord, they said, kept ordering them to get rid of their menagerie, which included dogs and birds. Bill took jobs in a series of labs, and Jeff worked as a truck driver and a chauffeur. In 1986, he landed a job as a police officer in Hoffman Estates, but 13 months later, he was dismissed for reasons that remain unclear. Police Chief Donald Cundiff said that he only lacked common sense. Jeff himself allows that he was soft on lawbreakers, while his mother claims that he didn't like making arrests. He'd say after he made one that he felt that he'd ruined someone's day. According to the FBI, the erstwhile cop turned robber in January 1990. Carrying his police scanner, he allegedly walked into the First Nationwide Bank in Williamette and announced a stick-up. And over the next 22 months, at least seven nearby banks were robbed in the same manner in what authorities described as military precision. They So the First Nationwide Bank in Williamette was robbed by the gunman wearing the fake beard. They state that it was Jeffrey Erickson, a 33-year-old former police trainee. The robbery is believed to be one of eight Chicago-area bank heists, pulled by Erickson in a 23-month crime spree that netted $200,000, which would be roughly $330,000 in
0: 2019 money.
1: Oh, Um, in most of the robberies, Erickson is said to have carried a gun, a police radio scanner, and disguised in the fake beard, baseball cap, sunglasses, driving gloves. His wife, Jill, is believed to have moved the getaway cars into place. By last spring, the couple's fortunes were nearly on the rise. In May, Jeff, a vigorous reader who often checked out 15 library books at a time, that's a lot of books, opened a large used bookstore in a shopping strip in Roselle. I heard the bookstores were lucrative, he said, and I like working with people. The customers were impressed. His books were superb, in superb condition. And he was very knowledgeable about the classics. So in 1991, February 1991, Jeff and Jill put $22,600 cash down on an $86,000 townhouse in Hanover Park. He told me that he was in business for himself and that money was no problem. Remembered the real estate agent. Although they remained close to their families, the two were also becoming more insular. Last winter, Jeff says, Jill entered a local hospital where she was treated for a drinking problem, diagnosed with manic depressive. As Jim Erickson tells it, doctors said she suffered from the beginnings of schizophrenia and placed her on the drugs, including Prozac. Still, Jeff said that she was never out of control. And the only time I ever saw her get mad was when she was drinking and we would have fights. And I think once she slapped me, but that was the calmest, but she was the calmest thing when sober. On November 4th, 1991, a stolen car driven by a man wearing a fake beard and sunglasses is followed by Palatine police officers who notice that the car may have expired license stickers. The driver slams on the brakes, leaps from the car and fires three shots at the squad car, striking officer Kevin Mayer once in the shoulder. Also in, 19, in November 1991, in response to the mayor's shooting, federal agents and seven suburban police departments create a task force. They begin staking out stolen Japanese-made cars similar to those used in the other getaways from the bank holdups. On November 18th, 1991, a man wearing a fake beard robs the First Chicago Bank in Elk Grove Village. December 15th, 1991... Two stolen cars in a Schomburg parking lot near the bank are staked out by federal agents and local police. On December 16, 1991, Erickson, believed to have been preparing to rob a Ninth Bank, is arrested while hot wiring a stolen Mazda in the lot. Authorities say he was carrying two loaded guns, a fake beard, two false mustaches. And Erickson's wife, Jill, roars from the scene in a gray van leading police on the high-speed chase that ends in a shootout in Hanover Park. Um, It says that she is struck by gunfire, but the coroner's report said that it was a self-inflicted gunshot. After he was taken to jail that afternoon, Jeff heard that Jill had died. He immediately called his brother and told him to rescue Chaos the dog before the FBI shot him or took him to the pound. Now, Jeff says, he spends his relatives' days in peace. Jill and I were both loners, and I guess we were inseparable. What's keeping me here is that I don't really have to worry about her now. Um, He says, though, that there, Jeff states there are moments where he misses his wife beyond measure. Um, They showed Delma and Louise in here the other night, and I had to go to my cell before they went over the cliff. The situation was too close to what happened with Jill, and I didn't want to cry in front of the group. In February 1992, Erickson was indicted on federal charges of holding up eight financial institutions and on state charges of shooting a Palatine police officer. He pleads not guilty. July of 1992, Erickson goes on trial. In U.S. District Court, his the U.S. Attorney Victoria Peters says that the 11 bank employees and one customer have identified Erickson as the bearded bank robber. Uh, July also of 1992, an employee of Savings of America Bank on the south side, which was held up on March 5, 1990, is asked in court to identify the robber and picks out reporter for the Chicago Tribune instead of Erickson. July 16, 1982, Officer Kevin Mayer recounts his run-ins with the bearded gunman who he cannot identify as Erickson. Jurors have already heard, however, that the FBI determined that the shell casings found at the scene and at their home um, matched the same gun found in Erickson's possession. July twentieth, 1982, Jeff Erickson, while being escorted from the courtroom in the Dirksen Federal Building, manages to disarm one deputy U.S. Marshal in a basement area and then killed her partner and a security guard. Erickson then makes his way up a ramp, leading to the street, but stops and turns the gun on himself.
0: I read somewhere that he, they found out later after he died that he got the, because he was able to get out of the handcuffs, and nobody could figure out how he did that. He was able to let himself out of one side of him, and that's how he got the gun. Mm -hmm. Um, And his roommate in jail, the roommate's mother, actually brought in a handcuff uh, key Oh, and he held on to that for a few months before he decided to use it. So that's where that key came from. I see. All right. So that was
1: that was a lot. That was a lot, and not too far from us. I had never even heard of it until I discovered the the movie first.
0: Yeah, we both I think, said that we'd seen the movie before, mm-hmm. and that was the first I'd ever heard of. Uh, that particular crime spree. But as you know, Chicago is like a completely different world, even though we only live two and a half hours away from it. Correct. We are just Chicago South or Chicago West. All right. So the film that was based upon this crime spree was called Normal Life. Uh, It was released in 1996 by Fine Line Features, spelling films, international film. Oh, Oh, look at that. It's all connected. It is all connected. It goes straight to the top. Uh, it stars Luke Perry and Ashley Judd. Uh, the movie itself starts out, we have a little blurb, it says inspired by a true story. And it starts out, we are following along in a vehicle, we're moving down the highway past suburban houses, uh, there's some piano music playing in the background. We see some very familiar sights to us, there's a Jewel Osco, uh, there's also a McDonald's and then a Target. Then we see Luke Perry and Ashley Judd in obvious disguises. They're seated in the front of an old blue van, and Ashley is wearing rubber gloves, petting a golden retriever. And doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose, though? Because now you're going to have dog hair. Can we talk about evidence transfer? Luke, in a really bad mustache, stops in a parking lot and tells her to lock and load. And she pulls out what I'm assuming is a semi-automatic gun and puts the clip in. He's got one, too. I think it's a revolver, but I don't know guns. Uh, They kiss passionately, and he gets out of the van, and she gets into the driver's seat. He opens the door to a Toyota Camry and is quickly surrounded by the FBI and arrested. Ashley Judd, because I don't know their characters' names yet, crashes through the police cars and escapes, tailed by a cavalcade of police cars. She starts shooting out her window uh, while Luke Perry listens in on the police radio. Then we flash back to two years earlier. A very blonde Ashley Judd is at a jukebox before heading to a booth with two good old boys. And Luke Perry is seated at the bar with a friend who is his brother. Uh, who owns a gun shop, and he watches her. Eventually, she and one of the men at the table start arguing loudly, and the two men leave. She grabs a glass and slams it down on the table, injuring herself, and Luke runs to attend to her. He bandages her up and then asks her to dance. She says she doesn't dance, and he says he doesn't either. So they head to the dance floor anyway, her bandage becoming increasingly bloody. And then she finally introduces herself as Pam. Pam. Pam, yes. Pam works at a factory, smokes pot, and read Stephen Hawking and Luke Perry is a police officer and tracks her down at work so obviously this is already a departure from the original story one she's much older in the movie than she is I think she says she's 21 that um, means that she took the dog with her when they committed their
1: last thing and she took off and the dog they're shooting at of the end with the dog in it. No, she let the dog out in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, she does let the dog out. All right,
0: fine. I was um, concerned. <laughs> no. So she works at a factory. Um, Like I said, it's a departure from the original story because she is much older. She, they work odd jobs before... He becomes a police officer right. so this is actually how he tracks her down is using his uh, he's abusing his power yes as a police officer uh he invites her to go to a shooting range and she leaves work and while there uh she likes handling the gun so foreshadowing like well, is that code for something yeah and it's kind of a euphemism too and on their second date she takes luke to go look at the stars and she talks to him about black holes and while she's talking to him about black holes she takes off her she takes off her underwear and then she asks him if he's scared to die and he says if he does he wants it to be one clean shot to that and then she kisses him but tells him not to touch her before mounting him while continuing to talk about black holes it's all very awkward. He says, weird. Yeah, he says, you're so crazy, and she immediately gets off of him and runs to her car. And he comes after her, and she's sobbing, and he explains that his feelings for her are crazy, not that she is, and she forgives him. Uh, later, they stop by the police station where Chris, as we finally learn his name, is confronted by another officer for not backing him up on an arrest where he claimed the suspect resisted arrest. Chris says that he saw that the suspect had cuffs on before the officer kicked him in the balls. And the officer talks about Chris's book learning, leading us to believe that he is very by the book, but also not very popular among his co-workers. Pam comes into the station, and this upsets Chris. He tells her that she can't do that. Uh, She steals some handcuffs while they're there, and uh, he escorts her out. And then Pam drives Chris on her motorcycle to a grand house where she talks about uh, how she grew up there until the current resident comes outside and she quickly leaves. She tells Chris that she was sick as a child and her parents left her and then got into a car accident and died. And then we don't really hear any more about her, her upbringing. Yeah. So there's also a departure because there's no parents. Um, You know, they talk about how she leaves her parents because they're getting divorced. So that's, that's not anything that happens in the movie. Right. Uh, The next scene is a, another awkward sex scene where Pam reveals that she cannot orgasm. And Chris tells her he loves her and that he wants to marry her. And Chris and Pam get married by a justice of the peace. And Chris's parents and brother and his wife stand up for her, or stand up for them. Uh, And immediately after saying, I do, Pam runs into the bathroom and vomits. And then Chris's parents visit the couple, his father of failing health, and Pam is uncomfortable talking to them. When Chris's father breaks down into a coughing fit, Pam runs into the bedroom where she stays until his parents leave. Uh, When he goes to confront her, she seduces him to deflect his anger. Pam has troubles at work and troubles paying her bills on time and keeps a dirty house. She spends money frivolously and starts a fight with Chris. She tells him she wishes they never got married and he leaves. She immediately swallows a bunch of pills and then cuts herself. Uh, Chris discovers the cuts when he gets home and attempts to reconcile with her. Uh, she stays in bed for three de- three days, and Chris buys her a dog to help get her out of bed. He tells Pam that he is picking up shifts as a security guard to make extra money, and they profess their undying love for each other. Movie sounds like a lot. It is a lot, and this is the first rated R movie that we have uh, watched and reviewed. So there was, like I said before, there was a lot of Ashley Judd's breasts. There was a lot of very uncomfortable sex scenes. Uh, some pretty graphic sex scenes. There was a lot of cursing. So it was very much a departure for Luke Perry and a little weird to watch Dylan doing that. So, uh, Chris and Pam visit Chris's brother and his wife, played by a very blonde Kate Walsh. Pam is more comfortable playing with their school aged son than talking to any of the adults. And Kate Walsh tells Pam that Chris's father is doing worse and suggests that they go visit him. But Pam continues to drink and ignore her. Eventually, Pam, now drunk, leaves during the middle of a fight with Chris. Chris's father ends up passing away, and Pam shows up to the funeral in biking shorts and on rollerblades. Chris obviously is upset with her, and she tries to use sex again to get him to forgive her, but it doesn't work this time. She finally shows appropriate emotion and tells him that she is sorry for his loss. Back at work, Chris doesn't make any friends with his by-the-book attitude, so when he makes a stop and requests backup, no one comes. He loses his job when he screams profanities at everyone over the radio. Pam tells him that it's perfect because now he can start his own business like he wanted to, and it instigates a fight about money, and he ends up taking away all of her credit cards. And at work, Pam is put on probation, contingent upon seeking help from a drug treatment facility. She comes home and destroys the house, and Chris finds her naked on the bed, a gun to her head. He grabs his own gun and puts it to his temple, telling her that if she kills herself, he wants to die as well, so she puts the gun down. Uh, on the way home from the shooting range, Chris stops in front of a bank, and a light bulb goes off in his head. Soon after, he uses his security company walkie-talkie, because he's working for a security company now, to call in an alarm and then waits to see how long it takes for the police to get there. 19 minutes. Then he takes Pam to rehab, which is like school, apparently, because she gets out of three-clock. They well, do They do have during the day of rehab that's only from like 8 to 3. Oh, well, there you go. While she's at rehab, Chris breaks into and moves several sedans and then returns home where he fashions a disguise and a bulletproof vest. Oh, Chris holds up the bank he cased and no one is like, hey, that sounds like Luke Perry. He gives Pam an allowance at dinner where she finishes off a whole bottle of wine so rehab's going really well. Uh, Then they have a super awkward sex scene where she asks where he got the money from and he says from working extra hours at the security firm. He robs several more banks and finds ways to confuse the cops with each robbery so he gets better and better after every robbery using all of the stolen money chris buys them a new house and new motorcycles pam still isn't suspicious even after chris said he paid for the cash with or paid for the house with cash we then see pam washing down some pills with tequila and she ends up getting fired from work which uh she discovers chris she ends up running some videos and sees Chris's van and follows him. When she finds out that he's robbing banks, she says, cool, and then tells him to go home where they have sex, and she finally climaxes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, And then she tells Chris that she wants to help him, and he says no at first, but finally relents. The first bank she helps rob, she fires a gun into the ceiling, angering Chris. They are then pursued by a cop until Chris stops the car and shoots at the officer, causing him to withdraw. Chris says they are done because he's got enough capital to start his own used bookstore, but Pam wants to keep going. Chris says no, so Pam starts playing games of Russian roulette and gets drunk and cries and masturbates with a gun. This is all normal movie stuff. And uh, Pam tried to leave Chris, but he won't let her, and they decide to rob another bank. Uh, This time, they're caught. Chris is arrested and Pam drives off, pursued by multiple law enforcement officers. She gets cornered and ends up shooting herself. Chris is put on trial, and the trial is going well, but during transport, Chris grabs one of the officer's guns and begins firing. He's shot as he is fleeing and turns his gun on himself. His last words, Pam, much the way he screamed when his father blew up on 90210. And that is the end of that crazy-ass movie. Jeez Louise. And this movie came out in 1996, so I guess I would have been 22 so it would have been appropriate for me to watch, but i still watching it now. I was like, why was I allowed to watch such a movie when I was that young? But he's right. still 22. Man, that
1: was a... This, between the crime crime itself and this movie, that was a whole
0: lot. Well, it sounds like the movie took a lot of liberties with... Especially yeah. with... Uh, I feel like... Ham
1: slash Jill. I feel like they tried to make it kind of like... Uh, what other movie came out around that time? Is it... Uh, the one was of it the true, romance? Oh, true romance oh slater, Trish and slater. Trish Arquette? yeah yeah i feel like they tried to make it
0: kind of like that it could be yeah but yeah that was a yeah they delved uh, you know they obviously never named uh pam's mental illness but they definitely right. gave her one and then you know coupled that with drug and alcohol abuse right um i know it you know, from the reading the material about Jill, she was brilliant. It sounds like she was mm-hmm. stunning to get. She was getting her doctorate, right? Yeah, so she was. Uh, she was finishing up with her doctorate yeah. in chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, where in the movie she does work in, like at the beginning, we see that she's in a factory, and then by the end, she's wearing a lab coat. Sometime, but she's always high, so I'm not quite sure what she does there. And then, you know, they do have the part about the bookstore mm-hmm. about. Chris slash Jeff wanting that to be the last one, but I right. uh, wanting to continue, so uh, it seems like the framework is the same, but they filled in a lot of the details. Um, they took their artistic license and ran with it. Yeah, most definitely. But yeah, it was, it was weird to watch Luke Perry in that role. I'm not going to say that he was fantastic in it. He is good, but... Um, I wouldn't say he's fantastic in the role. I'm glad you had to watch this movie and not me. They, I think they just capitalized on his uh fame as an 90210. Yeah, and then you know everybody wanted to be like, oh, let's go see why Dylan's uh, doing all that stuff. All right, well,
1: crazy. That was that was an adventure. It was an adventure.
0: Um, did you have to buy this movie? I did have to buy this movie. So it's not streaming anywhere. Nope, it is not streaming. I bought it on iTunes. Gotcha. $2.99. Oh, well, at least it wasn't expensive. No, but now my kids don't get any Christmas presents, so a that's a lot. Podcast.
1: All right. So, um, if you like what you heard, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We do like five star reviews. They're awesome, and they help us out. Um, you can check us out on Instagram um, at Based on a True Crime Story on Twitter. Based on a true crime. You know, based on a true C R one. Yes, what you said an email based on a true crime story at gmail.com. And we'll be back in two weeks with another movie and true crime adventure. Probably, hopefully not as off the wall as this one was, but uh, we'll be back and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.